Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 67 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, 67 is a bit of a weird one uh, because we won't be doing what we usually do, which is talk about a bit of tech, a little bit of paranormal, but what we tend to do is talk about news items in each. Well, we've decided to sort of take a summer reading approach to this and um, sort of explore uh, a single topic for each of our segments, but in a very interesting way. Yeah, and you say single topic, but for the tech side of things, it's going to be more than a single thing, but it's a top five list of something we like. Right. So you and I often talk about cyberspace. We often talk about things that we like, things that we don't like, and we often get into conversations about YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> but yes, uh, YouTube, this uh, gigantic titan of a website, has afforded us billions and billions of possible hours of entertainment. And from there, you and I have sifted through the rubble, dug through uh, some of our uh, greatest channels, and sort of found the, the diamonds in the rough, if you will. So uh, we only had one rule for this. It was, well, two rules. Firstly, they had to be channels that we liked, obviously. But the yes. second one is they had to have under uh, 500,000 subscribers. Originally, I wanted to do 100, but someone uh, was whiny about it, and we decided to push to five. Well, it's not that I'm whiny, but the, the channels I watch the most, they're not um, the over a million subscribers, although there are some that I do, and I want to talk about those too quickly. But uh, there were a couple I really wanted to include out of this list, and they, they have both just under 500,000 subscribers, and I'll get to that later. But yes, I, I wasn't going to do this list without talking about those two channels. So what we've done is we've each chosen uh, five, though. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. There might be a little bit of an asterisk for one of them. Uh, so I lost the uh, initial uh, patented double density uh, coin toss. So I will be going first with my five. And what I want you to say is whether or not you've seen any videos from the channels as we go along the list. Would that be okay? That'll be fine. Are we going to... Um... Rate, like, and subscribe? Absolutely. So the first channel on my list is something that brings me um, a very odd sense of nostalgia and comfort. It's a channel called 80s Commercial Vault. But the name is kind of a misnomer because they do um, 70s commercials, 80s commercials, and 90s commercials. And they tend to be um, in 10 to 15. And sometimes for the larger um, sort of anniversary, like the 200th uh, volume or whatever, they'll tend to be 20 to 25 minutes. Um, and what intrigues me the most about this channel, apart from the content, is how meticulous the uploader is in terms of cataloging every single commercial that's in a video. They don't just post... The video themselves, they usually try to find the date time channel and then we'll post about every um, single uh, commercial in uh, the content box. So he actually knows when that was taped specifically? Apparently so. I mean, he hasn't been wrong. He or she, they, we don't know if it's a female, right? So they haven't um, sort of... Uh, made themselves known all too much, but they are very meticulous about that kind of thing. And I think they're able to sort of figure things out based on a number of factors, given the news, uh, you know, and the thing is like they have a PO box too, right? So they get sent things, but they have to be clearly labeled. And, and is usually it in Pueblo, Colorado? Sadly not. It's not, <laughs> it's not there at all. Angelo, maybe one day, one day we'll have some content uh, from there, but today is not that day, my friends. And I apologize for that. That's fine. That's fine. It's Okay. Uh, do you have to send in a self-addressed stamped envelope? No, you just click a link. You click a link on the internet and they show you content. And uh, usually you know how some VHS dubs are just of a really uh, horrible quality. And like it's like a fifth gen tape that someone's like dubbed and dumb to dub. This is not yeah. the case for this channel. It is very, very crystal clear. There's very little on there that I would um, call second rate, I guess. Okay. And, and that's, I've never actually seen any videos from this channel. But I remember a few years ago, my friends and I, this is a long time ago. So a few years ago, meaning... Uh, late 90s, early 2000s, we were watching uh, 
at that time, what we considered old tapes of, uh, do you remember uh, Saturday Night's main event? The wrestling show? Yes. Yeah, we, would, we were watching old uh, episodes of that. So I guess they were like 15 years old. And we were uh, mostly enjoying the commercials because they were like old car commercials and stuff like that. It was really interesting to see. I think in, time, in terms of a time capsule, like a lot of these are really cool to see, especially like things that you haven't thought about in, you know, 20, 25 years at this point. Yeah, every once in a while, I remember uh, I see an old toy commercial and it gets me pretty excited, like the one for Fireball Island. I don't know if you remember that one. No, I don't. Yeah. Well, look it up. It, it might be in one of these compilations, actually. Probably. Um, so my next channel is something a little more niche. So we're going to keep with the VHS theme, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. So uh, this next channel, and uh, keep in mind, everyone, that we'll be linking. So this is a very heavy show notes show, right? So everyone should be opening up their favorite app and taking a look at the show notes or visiting doubledensity.net in order to see all of our compilations and uh, our lists and things like that, especially when we get into the paranormal section, right? Yeah, we will. We'll have to. I will put links of each of these channels and maybe a few other links in there, too. And so as an aside, we're going to bring that back. Uh, so my second channel is Occult Demon Cassette. And uh, so this is a very tiny channel. They only have 9,000 subscribers, but they do really interesting things. So one of the things that they do is they find videos um, that are training uh, manuals, like video manuals, for, uh, for example, like for law enforcement officials to learn how to spot sat- Satanists and cults. Well, that's really important to know. Um, the, like they have videos on the dangers of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. That, uh, so this is all in the time of the Satanic Panic. Yeah, so from the 80s, and they've gotten like kind of weirder, so their their main bread and butter, if you will, is like a lot of like satanic panic videos about how to uh, look out for Satanists, you know, uh, performing uh, midnight rituals, and they've gotten into weird things like how to play slots, like it's a 35-minute video shot by like two people in Vegas about how to learn, like game machines, um, and this was shot in like 96. That must be really odd. It is so much fun to watch and you never know what you might get, right? So they have a, uh, they have like a three hour, um, it's not a sermon, I guess it'd be more of a talk about, it, it, it's a, a talk from a religious day camp about not touching yourself. Okay. Well, that's important to know. Lots of skits and uh, musical numbers about not touching yourself. Very, very important stuff there. But yeah, Occult Demon Cassette is very niche, but also a, a lot of fun uh, to check out. You just brought to mind that scene from that movie, Jesus Camp, when they're praying for the PowerPoint presentation to work properly. Oh, right. Jesus Camp. What a great documentary. Uh, I first saw that 2005 scared the living daylights out of me. It did. My third video, uh, Switching Years, is a uh, channel called Lasagna Cat. And now uh, it is not an active channel. So they uploaded a bunch of videos in 2007, 2008, and then they stopped. And then last year, they had a huge revival. And basically what this is, it's a series of real-life Garfield cartoons reenacted. Or sorry, uh, comic strips reenacted, right? So they do the three panels. And then uh, they insert like fake uh, TV laughter. And then the best part is they take the content there and reformat it or reshape it into another piece of media. So for example, like they'll take um, a whole new world by Aladdin and like reframe what they've shot into that. Or uh, they'll take a Jimmy Buffett song and redo that and sort of reshape it into a Jimmy Buffett song. Um, Nine Inch Nails, they made fun of uh, Final Fantasy. Like it's it's super interesting how they morph a regular comic strip uh, with these actors into like new media. Like it, it's almost like the beginning of uh, like it, it kind of came about the same time like Girl Talk did in terms of mashup culture. Like the idea that you take something and sort of replicate it and do something new with it. Okay, I understand what you mean. And I've seen this channel. You... Um... I probably forced it on you, yeah. Well, I was about to say, uh, it was thrust upon me by you. Uh, You got real excited when new content came out. I I haven't seen you this excited in in years. 
Oh yeah, no, there's there's very little that gets me excited anymore. But yeah, that's definitely one of the few things when there's new content on the horizon, especially a I believe it's a four and a half hour or five hour video um, that's like their grand finale, uh, and it is fascinating and great to check out. So I suggest if you uh, love Garfield, love uh, mashup culture, love getting weird with it, then Lasagna Cat is definitely the channel for you. Sounds yummy. Next up, my fourth channel. And I, so what I tried doing is trying to, to pick a little bit of everything in terms of my interests. And uh, I had a hard time picking um, in terms of like a video game run through slash speed running. So I picked someone named Summoning Salt. So he has almost 300,000 subscribers. And what he does is he breaks down the speed running world records, like the progression uh, for games like Metroid and then um, uh, Mario Brothers 3, Portal, Sonic 2, uh, Super Mario Brothers. And like these are like half hour videos, right? So he goes back in time, finds the old archive footage and uh, creates a narrative about who had what when and how they advanced and the tech that they used so it's super fascinating stuff um a little inside baseball if you're not really into speedrunning, and it's it's kind of fun and i also was thinking about like picking other um channels like easy escape or uh the speed demos archive but i feel like it's a, a mixture of like learning about the history of as well as demonstrating uh, speedrunning techniques as well as talking about the tech of it so the three there are really things that i'm really really into as you know as i am annoying with uh, I talk about this uh, on a regular basis with you uh, outside of the podcast. Yeah, you really know your speedrunning stuff. Um, it's something that I'm kind of new to. I would watch it every once in a while, but you've kind of um, made it seem a lot more interesting to me. I, it, It's just fun to watch these old games and people kind of almost break them. Oh, for sure. I saw something recently where... Um, so for the original Super Mario Brothers, for example, if you hit Bowser while getting the axe at the end of a stage, it glitches out. And what you can do is you can uh, have a small Mario with a fire suit. Uh, I think I saw that at one point. That was like an old schoolyard rumor. I guess it wasn't. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It actually could happen. It was just very, very difficult to do. You, ha- you have to, it's basically pixel perfect. Like you have to touch Bowser at the same time as you touch the axe. So the game gets confused. And then as you go into the uh, next level, you get your mushroom and you get your fire, your flower power, but you re- you remain small, which is kind of cool. Um, as an aside, uh, things that people may not have known that now exist here on the podcast, thanks to us. Well, there's a, that's almost uh, paranormal to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, almost. Because yeah. it's something like that people say, I... I know what I saw. I saw Mario small with a fire suit. And uh, no, it's impossible. Skeptic clicks me. It's like, no, that, you can't do that. Not possible. My other favorite uh, thing about that is the idea. You know what? Let's actually ask our audience. If you want to go ahead and tweet us at double underscore density. Are there any like schoolyard rumors that you were really, really into that you didn't think were real? And then as an adult, you realized that they were. That's a great idea. So let's do that. Uh, so finally, my last YouTube channel, Switching Gears, is a uh, very interesting channel called Toy Galaxy. So our host, Dan, um, and I have to say, like, the production values on his uh, videos on his channel are amazing. So go check this out. But what he does is that not only does he talk about, like, newer action figures and things, but he actually does histories of, like, long forgotten, like, um, 80s and 90s TV shows that were tied to action figure lines. And he'll go back and do the history of, like, Robotech, for example, right? Or... Uh, Ronin Warriors or something like that. And he'll explore sort of like how um, they came to North America from Japan and how that worked as well as the toy component to it. So um, he actually does a lot of like really good um, historical uh, deep diving into these things. Sounds like somebody stole his idea for that Netflix documentary. Right. Well, he's been around for a couple of years. So, I mean, the good news is that uh, he has the best thing about Dan is that he has his own kind of wry sense of humor. And when he screws things up, sometimes he leaves it in and it's, it's, it's pretty fun to watch. Um, the pacing on there is really, really good. 
So a couple of the channels that I wanted to mention that uh, I didn't make the cut are The Game Chaser. So it's uh, uh, these two guys who go out uh, hunting for video games. I didn't include them because I feel like over the last year, um, their content has kind of gotten worse. Uh, there's an entire video where they go door to door, knocking on people's doors, looking for video games um, that these people would be willing to sell. It was very, very sad. Oh. Um, not compelling. Super cringy. Next up, I have a channel called Quentin Reviews. It's a great channel. Uh, I haven't had a lot of time to explore a lot of his videos. I've seen a couple. He recently did. So I got on to him because he recently did a video about Garfield turning 40, which was really, really fascinating to me. Garfield's um, and now 40? That, yeah. And now I'm realizing that I have like Garfield heavy content here. This is a little <laughs> bit odd for me, but that's okay. I'm going to keep moving. We are recording uh, on Monday. The official Games Done Quick has too many subscribers, so unfortunately uh, they're out, as well as The Completionist. So every week, Gerard, The Completionist, finishes a new game and uh, covers it and sort of uh, talks. And not only completes it, but like, like completely finishes the game to 100%, like all of the, the medals, all of you know, the achievements you can get. Apart from that, The Gamer from Mars, who does a really good um, sort of deep dive in terms of internet personalities and where they've gone. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And then lastly, in, um, so this channel kind of reminds me of the defunct PBS uh idea channel so it's a, a canadian channel called this exists uh it's this guy sam who kind of goes into like different subcultures he um like for example like mukbang do you know what mukbanging is like people who eat food in front of a live webcam i did not know that term existed and i would never have guessed that's what it meant there's also he does a great video on black midi which i would not suggest you look up because i feel like you'd freak out about it oh well i know what black midi is because uh one of my channels uh, talks about it Oh, perfect. Okay, so why don't we get into your list in that case? Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Double Density. Okay, so my top five, well, so I wanted to stress this is not in, this is in no particular order. Uh, I just kind of. Well, right, on my list, neither. It's just five channels that I really enjoyed. I don't even uh, think they're alphabetical, actually. So, <laughs> Oh, look at you. Um, well, if we're going to go alphabetical... No, they're um, not even... That's, I was saying they weren't alphabetical. Oh, they weren't? Okay. No. Okay, well, my my top five... Um, okay, wait. <laughs> my five channels, uh, like I said, I wanted to keep it under 500,000 because I really wanted to include a couple of these channels that had um, a lot of subscribers, but just under 500,000. Uh, the first one, though, is a smaller channel, 16,000 subscribers. It's uh, 512 Pixels by Stephen Hackett, who is also one of my favorite podcasters. He has uh, the podcast, he owns the podcast network where I listen to most of my podcasts from. It's called Relay FM. And he looks at, surprise, surprise, mostly uh, Apple stuff. Uh, it's a lot of older Apple hardware. Um, he goes to like the ends of the earth to get really good uh, shots of these things, great videos about interesting products that Apple has done. And one of my favorites is when you track down all 13 colors of the original iMac. I think it's 13 colors. Anyway, so all 13 cases. The cases, yeah, of the original uh, iMac G3. And he did a whole video about it, which I highly urge you to go watch. I even, I'm going to include a link to his uh, iMac G3 project that he worked on. Uh, it was this whole thing he did for a long time um, on his 512 Pixels website. And yeah, once he was done with those, he just donated them to the Henry Ford Museum so people can go take a look at those on display. But yeah, his channel has a lot of talk about uh, different Apple things. He also reviews things uh, briefly, but uh, and they're all nice and short, his videos. They're never too long. 
Uh, they don't overstay their welcome. And they're all done from his nice podcasting studios, so it's it's well done. Uh, non-surprise here uh, from Angela for his first pick, something Apple-related, but that's okay. An Apple podcasting nerd, too. So hey. <laughs> uh, A lot of the recommendations I for my equipment are from uh, him and his uh, friends on his network. So, yeah. Uh, the next one is one that I actually only discovered because of our podcast and something we were doing. And that channel opened up a whole bunch of other channels, some of which I'll mention in my honorable mentions and one which is part of this five. And this is Rick Beato's channel. Um, He is a music expert, used to teach music uh, at a college in upstate New York, and now is giving away this stuff for free on YouTube. A lot of the stuff he says goes over my head when he starts talking about the different modes. Uh, I know the names of the modes. I kind of know how they work, but... I still kind of get lost. Um, He's got some incredible videos on there. The one I discovered it from was because of that episode we did about audio files. Remember that one, Brian? Yes, I certainly do. And your anger at the money spent on a lot of audio file equipment. And his was the video where he had one of his assistants, who is a music expert, has an amazing ear for music. I believe she has perfect pitch. And she had trouble telling the difference between different bit rates of MP3s. Was that um, one of his assistants or one of his kids? Wasn't there one of them where they used their kids? So he, um, yeah, so that was his assistant. The one where he asked his kids was the La- Yanni and Laurel thing. Okay. One of his kids has incredible perfect pitch. There's videos of him playing different chords, incredibly crazy complicated chords, and his son is like totally getting every single note. It's incredible. Um, and obviously... Uh, Rick is an amazing musician, very well respected, has some amazing interviews with people like uh, John Petrucci. I think he had uh, Victor Wooten on there. All these amazing musicians that are on his channel talking to him, um, including he had uh, one of his uh, sounding off videos, which is what he calls them, with uh, Adam Neely, who's also one of the people on my list. Uh, It's a more relatively recent discovery I've made of his channel, but I've been binging on his videos because they're fantastic. Okay. He's a bass player, um, a very talented bass player, but he also plays piano, guitar, he plays lots of stuff. All these guys do. Um, He talks about how it was going to music school. He went to Berkeley and then uh, did his master's degree at the Manhattan Institute of Music. And he's got some amazing, amazing videos. And something I like about him is he's very contemporary. Like Rick is an older guy. He's in his 50s. Uh, straight shooting videos, right? He's like videos. He's got, he's literally got a whiteboard behind them. He talks about stuff like that, either sitting at a piano with a guitar. Whereas Adam is uh, more, let's say, meme centric. You get along with. Him I feel very like his well. editing style is very, very different too. Like um, Rick kind of keeps things very, very uh, conventional. I guess would be the best word of saying. Whereas Adam likes to jump around and play with editing a little bit more and keep things more interesting um, in terms of a narrative. Yeah, and he has a bunch of different types of videos. The ones I've watched the most are his Q&A videos and something he calls New Horizons, which is basically Vsauce for music. I don't know if you know what Vsauce is. I sure do, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be on one of our honorable mentions because Vsauce has way too many subscribers, but he really uh, kind of has been called Vsauce for music, and you'll see people talk about that in his comments. He also mentioned Black MIDI, which is something you talked about. So here we are, Synergy. Yeah, I know what Black MIDI is. It's insane. It's basically all notes put on a piano roll of a DAW to create as many sounds as possible, which are pretty much impossible for a human to play. 
and you can easily overload a uh, system with these two because sometimes it's like millions of nodes, right? Yeah, he's he's talked about that on his show. Well, I'm going to end up with a couple of video game uh, retro channels. The first is Jeremy Parrish's channel, um, also known as GameSpite. He's changed that uh, to his actual name. He's only got about 20,000 subscribers, but they're, um, it's a channel I really think should have more because he does an amazing job of cataloging old Nintendo, Game Boy, and uh, Super Nintendo games. And, he's and the really cool thing, too, look. is that he, he has a really good aesthetic, like a very particular aesthetic to the way he covers stuff, too. Yeah, great sound effects, too. Uh, he's got a really good voice for this, too. He's got a, a good, um, almost deadpan delivery sometimes. And um, I've, I mean, I know his voice well because I've listened to his podcast, Retronauts, for years at this point. Talks about old video games on that, obviously. And uh, he's coming from this, uh, from 1UP. Remember them? Yes, I do. Uh, one of the old, uh, really good, uh, best actually, uh, video game journalist websites, I guess would say. They they kind of had a thing with EGM as well. They had some really good podcasts. That's where Retronauts comes from. He's been working game journalism for a while, but now he's actually, I think he's completely stopped the journalism stuff. Maybe does some freelancing stuff, but concentrates mostly on his podcasts and YouTube. And uh, those things are amazing. He also has a really good website called GameSpite. He doesn't post it as much as he used to. There's some amazing breakdowns of games. Uh, my favorite series uh, being uh, the one talking about Metrovania-style games. I don't know if you know what that means, Brian. Yeah, like uh, C- uh, Castlevania Symphony, right? And mixed with Metroid, yeah. So uh, it's it's funny because when I first played Symphony of the Night, the first thing that popped in my head is like, this is Castlevania mixed with Metroid. Yep. yep. So in my head, I coined that term. Uh, I recently as an aside uh, so I picked up a a, a SNES classic recently and I beat Super Metroid for the first time ever oh wow you did not tell me this and what did you think so it was it was fun it was a lot of fun it was kind of weird because I didn't expect it to be the end and then it was so games used to end a lot quicker than they do now uh, well I mean yeah no I mean if you look at an RPG even like a Final Fantasy 6 right it still took dozens of hours oh yeah that's true um, but it is a um, Metroid's still one of my top favorite games. But it was just uh, passed this year by Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Shots fired. Hot takes here on Double Density. Angelo, I'd love it if you mentioned some of your honorable mentions, and then we're gonna get into the last, last, last channel, and also the last item for the par- uh, for the tech section before we get into paranormal stuff. My honorable mentions, um, we've mentioned this channel a lot of times here, H3H3 Productions, very funny. That's what I was referring to by uh, one that, uh, what was it, the channel that got cringy? Oh, the Game Chasers. Yeah, they got cringy. They'd probably be uh, looked at by H3H3. Some of his best videos are the ones where they react to other YouTube videos. Um, I would say my favorite YouTuber that doesn't put nearly enough content out, but there's, it's still great every time he does, is CGP Grey. Um, Agreed. He actually concentrates more on podcasts, one of which he hosts with my other honorable mention, Brady Harron, and all his various channels like Number File, Computer File, etc. Really good, amazing educational content. Brady's amazing at that stuff. Uh, CGP Grey, like I said, it's... Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen those videos. You've watched them, right, Brian? Yeah, I've watched a bunch. Yeah, like Las Vegas isn't Las Vegas. Yeah. If you listen to this show, you would love his videos. Really well done animation style. He does not appear in his videos, so much so that people are frightened of seeing his face because they don't want to spoil what he actually looks like. So what do you have next? Um, Amy Nolte Music. I've recently uh, come to learn of her channel via um, Rick Beato's channel. 
and uh, 12 tone which also i've learned um from adam neely two really good music channels that i like a lot but i haven't watched enough of them to put them on my favorites mkbhd one of the best tech reviewers out there uh, best tech channel but has millions upon millions of subscribers so obviously i think he has over five five million subscribers at this point so definitely not five hundred thousand. casey neistat excellent vlogger i've kind of stopped watching his videos uh, like i used to watch them like almost every day and now it's kind of like uh it's too much stuff but uh still very good whenever i do watch it and vsauce which he hasn't been putting out that many videos lately but every single video that's up there is worth your while about 20 minutes of amazing science content Perfect. And we want to talk about the last channel that both of us enjoy, but I figured you wanted to put it on your list because you enjoy just a little bit more. And it's all because of you. You pointed me to GameSack almost a year ago, I guess, when we talked about video game magazines. Yes. I remember one of our earlier episodes. Yes. And they're great. They're like two dads that talk about video games. Yeah. So uh, Dave and Joe. They're a little older than me, I think. Uh, I think they're in their mid-40s, but they've been playing games a long time. They know their stuff, but they are hardcore collectors. Whereas yeah. I like wanted to play some old video games, so I just got a RetroPie. Um, they go out and buy the actual games. Um, I don't know if they're not fans of emulation. I don't think they, they don't mind it. They do play some of their games in emulation, but their preference by far is to play the original cart. So what I like about them is a couple of things. So firstly, um, they're very consistent. So every second Sunday, they drop a half hour video pretty much, if not longer, right? Yeah, that, that's something that... Uh, so from... Because I binged their videos, they used to like drop a video every week, didn't they? Yeah, there was a time in the in the channel's life where they were dropping a lot of content very quickly. They settled into every other week, which I'm completely fine with. Um, and the thing about that is they have really, really great production values, um, really good dad jokes, a lot of those. Yeah, the production values on these videos are amazing. I think Joe works in um, in video editing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, some kind, I, that's what I've thought too. Like I haven't really... Um, uh, snooped on them uh, as people. But yeah, I, I do believe that he made mention of that being his job in one of the videos. All amazing content. Uh, what I love is uh, Dave always mentions his delivery as being wooden because people obviously complained about that. But I don't <laughs> think it is. I think it's great. He's, he's also a, gotten better. Yeah, he's gotten better. But also when it, when he first started, yeah, sure, he seemed nervous or unsure of himself, but it was still great because he's funny. Dave also, I think, works at UPS. I think he's made mention in a video or two about being either a UPS driver or working somewhere in UPS. Or, or FedEx, maybe? Yeah, one of these one of these companies. But um, one of the things that makes me laugh is their devotion and weird love, uh, like obsession about soundtracks. Yeah, they often mention, like when they're talking about a game, they'll say, oh, the music is, is okay, but it's not music I would listen to outside of the game. Which just is like, I, normally music from video games is not music I would listen to outside of the game. Most of the time. There are some things I do, but not really. Uh, but, but they, they have, they, they're, they're hardcore into like ripping soundtracks and listening to those. They make it, they make such a point out of mentioning what they have on their like devices. It kind of makes me laugh about their level of like love of video game music. So in light of that, like what is the top video game soundtrack that you jam to on your device? Because I have one and I think it's going to make you laugh. I actually have um. A compilation of video game songs uh it's by retro video game review and it's volume two and it's it's video game songs but uh reharmonized in jazz 
So okay. it's, it's really, really good. Some amazing musicianship in those songs. And uh, I would say some of my favorite video game tracks are from uh, Rondo of Blood. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the the Castlevania game on the Turbo the Famicom version, the, not yeah, the, the Famicom, Super Famicom. Sorry, the the PC Engine CD-ROM. Right. Okay. And for uh, me, it's gonna be Streets of Rage Two. Streets of Rage Two. Oh, yes. Yuzo yeah. Kashura, Kashuri, Kashuri, Yuzo Kishuri, Suzuki, think, yeah. Kashuri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're stuck. Yeah. Gotta rewind the tape. Yeah, Streets of Rage. That's uh, Street. Uh, I would have thought you would have said Streets of Rage One, which has amazing music, but it's uh, Yuzo Kashiro who is extraordinarily famous in video game music land especially for his sega titles yeah i feel like uh, the streets of rage 2 soundtrack really elevated what the first one was going for in terms of like uh like electronic dance music like house techno sort of like funky um a lot of good backbeat in there too so i feel like there's like a little bit of everything going on there so streets of rage 2 uh for me is uh one of the few soundtracks you'll find on any of my devices and with that angelo we are bringing things to a close here on the tech section of episode 67 i'll see you over in the paranormal side of things All right, I'll see you there, Brian. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are the hosts of Into the Portal. If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and all other major podcast platforms, and at intotheportal.com, your gateway to the bizarre. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal? Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal, and in this special summer edition of Double Density, what I want you to do is go grab yourself, I don't know, like a Long Island iced tea, a Mai Tai, a Sex on the Beach. Hell, I would even settle if you decide to drink a Smirnoff Ice while we talk about... uh, a new edition of Alien Cinema. So, Angelo, uh, this pick is a little interesting because usually we do science fiction-y type of alien stuff, pseudo-documentaries, but this is really at the other end of like science fact almost. Yeah, this... It's actually, if you go look at the, the link we gave you, it's from the U.S. National Archives uh, right. from NASA. Yes. So uh, Robert Drew uh, produced this 28-minute documentary for NASA. So I don't know if you know anything about Robert Drew and his associates at all. I don't know much apart from what you sent me in a link um, that he was a documentary filmmaker. Right. So uh, Drew first gained prominence in the early 1960s. Uh, So he made films like um, documentaries, uh, very textile films about the Kennedys. So he uh, made his bones cutting together some of the great uh, documentaries of the era. So if you want to, you can go check out the recently reissued The Kennedy Films of Robert Drew and Associates, which is put out by uh, Criterion, one of my favorite companies, kind of like the gold standard of like film restoration. So, you know, like you got your Cadillacs, you got your Criterions. So um, there are four films... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are four films um, uh, in this collection. So there's Primary, Adventures on the New Frontier, uh, Crisis, and the last one, which is Faces in November. And uh, so there's like four of those. And he sort of like made um, himself known through these. And then so what happens is that this is produced sometime in 1973. So it was shot in Arizona. It seems as though Orson recorded uh, this 20-minute video, which we've yet to name, I've realized. So we're watching Who's Out There. Uh, produced by NASA, Robert Drew, starring Orson Welles. Before the cylinder fell, there was a general persuasion 
that through all the deep of space, no life existed. So it seems like he recorded these in between setups for his uh, ill-fated film, The Other Side of the Wind. So if you want to learn more about this incompleted film that sort of lasted for six years, um, you'll have to read uh, Josh Karp's excellent book, Orson Welles' last movie, The Making of The Other Side of the Wind. I have it, Angelo, if you'd like to. I may let you borrow it, but I don't think you really care all that much. I don't know. I might. I... I don't know much about Orson Welles apart from the fact that he played Unicron in the Transformers movie. Like right before his death in 1985, which is good because I want to mention like two quick tidbits. So um, not, uh, this film was uh, first shown in 1973, uh, first shot sometime in the early 70s. So Orson Welles kind of around that time um, recorded the infamous finest frozen peas commercial sometime in 1970. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Yeah, so in other words, I'd start half So he uh, hated doing these things, but he, according to his assistant at the time, was also making up to $15,000 a day, which he he was taking that money and using a large chunk of it in order to self-fund the other side of the wind. So I don't know if you remember hearing him berating uh, an unseen director at all. Like, it kind of has made the rounds. I've never heard that. No, the only one I've heard is uh, the one uh, for that uh, Terminator movie where uh, Batman (laughs) is yelling at somebody. Right. So that's kind of that's kind of sort of it um, in the same vein, except like uh, 25 years later. Right. So Christian Bale losing it on uh, like a lighting technician, I think. I think so. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> the part that sticks with me is when he says, uh, I get it. You're a nice guy. You're a nice guy. But you're in my shot. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I, I, we don't we'll link to all of those. But yeah, anyways, we're, we're going to link. I'll, I might even cut in some audio here of um, Orson Welles burning this, this poor man who are these frozen peace commercials. Can you emphasize a bit in? In July. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Um, There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with in and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. It's a it's a cinema verite, and I feel like we're going to talk more about the like the sort of like the film properties itself than the content because some of it's so weird, right? So we open it with a shot on the cosmos, and then it it fades in and out of Orson Welles's head in the cosmos. It's that real 70s effect. It's like they just learned this and they wanted to really put it into this video. It's a bizarre effect that now you don't see that anymore because unless it's uh, done purposefully as like irony. Yeah. This was totally unironic. So yeah, so like the your opening shot is the cosmos, Orson Welles's head, and then like it disappears back into the cosmos, and then he uh, reads from the H.G. Uh, Wells's War of the Worlds for a little bit, right, unseen, and then it cuts to him with a book and a cigarette, and he's just smoking up a storm. Yeah, just sitting there. Uh, he's got a smoking jacket on, sitting in a room. F- was he? I'm remembering a room full of books. I mean, I watched this yesterday. And yeah, it's 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 a it's a dimly lit room full of books. That was his preferred way of shooting things. Uh, this was done in Arizona uh, near the I think the Dick Van Dyke Studios, like because that's where he was shooting part of the other side of the wind. And it opens on the sh- like it doesn't open on the shot, but the, the segment opens on the shot of him smoking and like folding the book and talking about how he and H. G. Wills don't have um, shared lineage. I guess like they're not you know directly related. Um, but Orson Welles kind of came to prominence with a radio drama uh, based on the War of the Worlds that he made a lot of people believe in, which segue into a lot of like older people he's interviewed who not he like robert drew that uh has interviewed being scared of this radio play and like they're telling like anecdotal stories of fear do you think that would ever happen now are people too would it be hard to fool people 
like let's say a, a well-placed like concerted effort by people tweeting about this with the proper hashtag could we make people believe that there's some sort of alien invasion going on via twitter it would never happen over the radio or a tv nobody would ever believe it but over twitter people believe anything I also just I don't think it would work. I think people are much more skeptical now. You know, because you think they used to. Well, yeah, people used to view the radio as a source of authority, right? Like, what is your source of authority now? You don't really have one. No, it's true. We kind of uh, don't trust anything anymore. I feel like if that got tweeted out, I would just tweet "lol brb" and then like the hashtag and see what happened there. Because I don't really vaporized. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't really feel like um, it works anymore. No, I, I guess tweets with some really good video. That's what we'd need. Yeah, that, like it'd have to be like a whole production in a sustained production, right? And we still wouldn't believe it. We were like, yeah, photoshopped. So the reason I think that he reads from more of the worlds is because they discuss um, various uh, travels to Mars um, by probes, right? Well, that's okay. That's the thing I found the most interesting about this video is that it's a total time capsule. So when you're watching it, if you're kind of like forget about everything that's going on around you and just watch it for what it is, and then here you are, 40-something years later, and all the stuff they've talked about, they've actually sent out. They were talking about the Voyager probes. They were like, those are gone now, uh, yeah. out into deep space. Uh, they were talking about the Viking landing on Mars. We've gone way past that with the different Mars rover missions. In fact, uh, one of the rovers named after a scientist in the video, one of my favorites, Carl Sagan, who's in this. And it's pretty amazing how far we've come and some of the stuff they've mentioned, like, the, the seeing the images of Mars they have is the blurry oh, blotch, yeah. and um, now the high def imagery we have of Mars, and uh, they didn't mention the face of Mars. I guess that wasn't taken yet. No, it wasn't taken yet. And uh, uh, sorry, Richard C. Hoagland, uh, this does not concern you. See your way, uh, see your way out. Yeah, there we go. Here and here the door slam, and it's just incredible now just how far we've come. And something I couldn't remember is I. You know, they always talk about water on Mars, and then he's talking about the polar ice caps, and it must have, like, completely escaped my mind. I had to look it up. Is Are there polar ice caps on Mars, or was that a mistake back then? But there are polar ice caps. Yeah, there are. So there's there's water on Mars. But yeah. I think uh, they're more They have seasons similar liquid. to us. Yeah, they have, they have they have a cyclical season similar to us, so yeah, there's a, there's a bit of an atmosphere going on there. Okay. But no life. No, no. So the first um, section is Orson Welles talking about H.G. Wells talking about um, these people, uh, these stunned spectators, right? They tell stories of themselves, their friends, and other people in, in their towns who have done uh, very rash things in light of this radio broadcast. And then we start talking about what we know about Mars up to now um, and sort of talk about uh, – and when I say now, I mean 1972, 1973, really, like a lot of hypotheses. And um, so that sort of shifts over, um, and they have shots of this symposium, right, at Boston University. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to name all the people involved. We're not going to give any value judgments. Maybe Angela will. I won't. So uh, astronomer Carl Sagan, anthropologist Ashley Montague, uh, Christopher Stendhal, the dean of the Harvard School of Divinity, Professor Berzin, uh also uh, teaches a course entitled The Search for Life in the Universe, Professor Philip Morrison of MIT, and George Wald, who is the 1971 Nobel Prize winner for his work in physiology. As much as I like Carl Sagan, he was pretty dry, but Philip Morrison was hilarious. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, Carl he was Sagan like, had this uh, had that patented smug look of his, like young Sagan look. You know, like we talked about that. Uh, I think in the uh, UFO Jalen Hynek UFO book club, his look in, of that era. Yeah, and if anybody's wondering, looking on our feed for the UFO book club, it's not. It's on our friend Rob Christopherson's feed for our strange guys. 
Yeah, so go check that out as we as I mock and Angelo feebly defends Carl Sagan. And I like I said, I love Carl Sagan, but uh Morrison was really good. He was yeah, no, I was like, yeah, who is was. this guy? He's hilarious. And if you're interested, I didn't watch it, but that whole symposium is available on the same US Archives channel on YouTube. Yeah, there's a lot of really great stuff on there that uh, they themselves are time capsules. It's a fun watch. Uh, I didn't watch all the way through the symposium because it was already featured in um, this 20-minute documentary, which yeah, I thought was really, really interesting. Like, this really is science fact, right? Because uh, it's really of its time. It talks about the hypotheses and what we're hoping to see um, uh, once we visit Mars, right? And the idea of extraterrestrial life um, out there, right? So Carl Singen really gets excited by that um, in his own little way. Yeah, and... They do talk about how there's probably billions and billions of civilizations out there. Carl Sagan says it. They all say it. Because it's a vast universe, there's probably something out there. So this is a direct quote from the documentary uh, from Carl Sagan. The most optimistic estimates in the view of many about the number of civilizations that there might be in the galaxy is of the order of a million, which means that only one in a few hundred thousand stars has such civilizations. And uh, that, that goes on to like what Carl Sagan does in the future where he writes books about this. And at minute 24, you can pinpoint Carl Sagan, I think, probably had it before this, but it looks like that's where he comes up with the idea for contact because they're talking about (laughs) uh, Earth receiving a radio signal and all that and what would happen. Look at his face at minute 24 when they're talking about it. You can see, oh, that would make a great book. So this is the direct quote, I think, from that time. And I would imagine an advanced civilization wanted to talk to us. They would say, oh, look, those guys must be extremely backwards. Go into some ancient museum and pull out one of those, um, what are they called, uh, radio telescopes and beam it at them. But yeah, the funny thing is, and, and we talked about this with the, the RGBA guys, the idea of the zoo hypothesis, right, of extraterrestrial mm-hmm. contact. So yeah. I feel like that that is being echoed by Carl Sagan in this video. Sorry, uh, this film, because it's technically not a video yet. Yeah, it's film. It's... It's so of its time. It's just wonderful, though. I, I'm so... Because we, we racked our brains for what to do for this alien cinema. And Brian pulled this out of thin air. And I'm so happy he did. I totally forgot that it existed. And then... Because I'd watched this a number of years ago. And then going back, it's so joyful watching Orson Welles. And the thing, too, is that he smokes multiple bits of tobacco. Like, he smokes a cigarette. He smokes a cigar. He's always holding books. It's, it's captivating in a way. He's got... I don't know if he is, but in my head, I'm picturing wearing a, a, like a burgundy bathrobe. <laughs> yeah, almost like he's, he's kind of hiding himself. Yeah, well, is it the, the book uh, excerpt that, you, that they talk about how he's set up as a talking head? Quite literally. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the classic talking head kind of look. And you see the talking head pop out from behind the cosmos in the opening shot. It's, that, that, that shot is amazing. As soon as I saw that... I just smiled and you like, were sold. Yeah. Yeah. This is so Brian. I'm so happy you picked this. Do you feel like he had a bit of a Marlon Brando thing going? Like, you know, like later on in Marlon Brando's life, he was only like, you only shoot him from like certain angles. And I feel like it's the same thing with Orson Welles, like after 1970, as he gained weight. Orson Welles, I don't know much. Like I said, I don't know much about him, but he's interesting. And I, I just love that his last role was that of a giant planet eating robot. Kind of fitting in a way. Yeah, well, exactly. You see... Um, the face of Unicron in in the cosmos in the opening shot. And here he is uh, being the cosmos himself. Exactly. 
So uh, we're going to drop a link to the video. Uh, it's worthwhile. It's kind of fun to listen to and sort of like hear um, the thought leaders of the time. I guess would be the best way of explaining who they are at this symposium, kind of explore the notion of life on Mars and what we got there and um, the search for extraterrestrial life, what that may mean. And it's kind of funny, 40 plus years down the line, we're still kind of having these same conversations, asking the same kinds of questions. We are. We, we've come a long way, but uh, there's a lot of things we haven't answered and haven't even come close to answering. So that that's the thing that kind of gets me. And it sort of makes me sad because, you know, you're watching this video and then you time travel to the present and we still are stuck with not knowing if we are alone out there. Again, most people do not think we're alone, uh, but most scientists uh, and skeptics like myself don't think we've actually been visited by anyone, but we're hopeful. I mean, and the funny thing is that the door is still left a little bit open by these uh, members of the symposium too, right? Like even Carl Sagan is kind of like, yeah, something could exist out there. Well, they all are. And, and most scientists do feel that way. Like I said, most scientists, the only thing though, is they say, we don't think that UFOs that people are seeing are necessarily alien spacecraft. That's where the Physical manifestations line. of an alien civilization. No. I feel like we need, we need to put a bit of, uh, a little bit of a lid here for uh, the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis for the moment. Um, and I, I feel like something like we continue to explore here and there, but I feel like we really may need to devote some actual time to sit down and sort of um, think out, you know, what these beings could be, what they could represent, right? And anytime any of you have any suggestions about what you think they are, do not be shy. You can tweet us. Where can they tweet us, Brian? You can find us at double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. You can head over to doubleidensity.net. Take a look, see all of our new episodes, figure out how uh, you can subscribe to us through the various apps and uh, services listed below. You can click on the hosts page to get a good look, see what we look like. And you can also hit the contact button in order to send us an email and let us know what you think about the extraterrestrial hypothesis. So uh, we started the segment talking about Orson Welles with frozen peas and we wanted, I wanted to end it with um, his uh, drunken wine video. So, uh, Orson shot a series of uh, uh, commercials for Paul Masson California wine ads in between 1978 and 1980, where he's very visibly drunk in a lot of the outtakes, and these are very easily findable on YouTube. They used to be of a bad quality, but for some reason, over the last couple of years, like very high quality um, versions of these videos have surfaced, and I don't know if you've ever seen any of these, but they're uh, sad in a way because you know he's on his way out, but at the same time, super amusing to watch. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. They are sad, they are amusing, uh, and it's amazing what you can now find online including a 28-minute video of Orson Welles talking about NASA. And we're going to uh, maybe touch on the sequel to this, which is uh, Orson Welles talking about Nostradamus, but that's another day, right, Angelo? Another movie for another day, and it's also three times the length. So uh, this is it for another edition of uh, Alien Cinema. It is. This is it for episode 67 of the Double Identity Podcast. Tune in next week as we pray that Orson Welles' disembodied head floats by and tells us a 90-minute tale of Nostradamus. Angela, it's been a pleasure. I will see you at a beach nearby while I sip on some uh, whiskey, I guess. And rye. Yes. (laughs) I'm not going down that route with you because I know where you want me to say and I'm not going to say it, so deal with it. What are you drinking? American pie? 
For all new host inquiries, you can always tweet at me, Brian Hasty, H-A-S-T-I-E. I'm always on the lookout for a host who doesn't hit all of the dad jokes when required. See you, Brian. <laughs> Bye, Angelo. <laughs>